All right, this morning we're starting a new sermon series called The Great Adventure. Um, we're going to take four weeks and we're going to be taking a look at the gospel and um, why it's such great news and why we should be sharing it with others. Um, and so we're going to be kicking it off this morning in the book of Hebrews. Um, so go ahead and grab your Bibles. Open up to Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the floor in front of you. Grab one of those. We're going to Hebrews chapter 1. That's page 1001 in our Bibles. And uh, we're going to be looking at the first three verses as uh, our, our starting point this morning. All right, let me, uh, let me pray for us and me <laughs> before we dig in. Father, we thank you that you are a God of relentless pursuit. You love us and uh, you just don't let it go. Thank you that um, you don't let us pursue our own ends. You don't let us um, completely destroy ourselves. You love us. I just thank you for that. I pray for our time this morning, Lord, that you would make that word become clear to the, uh, the eyes of our hearts. Lord, there are things that we need to see that we can't see unless you open our eyes to them. There are things we desperately need to hear that we can't hear unless your spirit is present, um, opening our ears. And so as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts, that we will be receptive, and um, that we will not walk away unchanged. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you'd be pleased to speak um, your clear word through my broken voice this morning. Magnify those things that give you honor. And make your name great. We thank you that uh, you're the one at work. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take some time, and we're going to. Oh, I need to read Hebrews, don't I? Sorry, uh, I'm a little. I'm a little out of it this morning. It's uh, part of the the head cold. All right, Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Some of the best words I'm going to say this morning. Here we go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word of the Lord. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about um, the gospel, this thing that's at the heart of the church, this message of good news about Jesus. Um, and here's the thing, you guys. I'm, I'm just convinced that too often Christians live with um, a simplistic gospel. That, that we live with a one-dimensional understanding of the gospel. And, and since our vision of the gospel is limited in scope, our experience of the gospel is limited in beauty. The gospel has multiple aspects, and we're going to be looking at those. Three of them, specifically, are, are the fact that it has a very powerful message for us personally, um, it has a very powerful message for us socially. 
the kingdom to come, that the, the, the God's gospel impacts the way we relate to others and the culture and societies that we build from that, and, and the cosmic impact, the fact that at the heart of this message is a great reversal, a cosmic reversal, where everything that was plunged into ruin is going to be recreated. And, um, and so we're, we're talking about a multifaceted gospel that speaks to our hearts in many ways and equips us to live in very different ways. What I've seen, and I think this is probably most common, is, is currently we, we have some groups that focus almost exclusively on the personal message of the gospel. Um, this idea that, that Jesus died for you so you can go to heaven. Not a bad idea, not a false idea, but they just that's all they focus on. And there's this idea that the whole point of, of the gospel is about you. You going to heaven, right? And, 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 and so it's all about trying to make Jesus seem appealing to you so that you'll say a prayer and, and somehow sign on the dotted line and, and um, we can get you into heaven, you know? Um, oversimplified. Some people want to focus on just the social impact of the gospel. This is really popular today as well. There are groups that, that are all about social renewal. They're all about how the, the gospel impacts social structures of justice and injustice and, 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 and how the gospel reimagines how we relate to people other than ourselves. And so they're out there constantly serving and working and, and doing good, but never talking. Never talking about the personal impact of a relationship with Jesus, right? So it's all about the social. Um, here's the thing. God wants to bring justice and restore social peace through the work of the gospel. He wants to transform personal lives through the gospel. But when we have a one-dimensional gospel, a really simplistic gospel, we limit ourselves to a one-dimensional experience with the gospel. Because the gospel of grace is news that is so good, it should continually surprise us. Like, continually surprise us. I tell people I'm going to be talking about the gospel. They're like, oh, that's awesome, going back to the basics. No. (laughs) We're climbing Mount Everest. The gospel is this thing that it isn't just the beginning of Christianity. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end. It is the A to Z. You don't get past it. You go deeper into it. And the deeper you go, the more amazing it becomes. It continually surprises and reawakens our joy. So we're going to spend the next four weeks unpacking some of the incredible beauty of the gospel and looking at it from different angles. This morning, we're actually going to be taking a look at it from the personal angle. It wasn't where I planned to start. This isn't the message I wrote for this morning. And I know some of you are getting tired of hearing that. Like every week I get up here, I'm like, this is not the message I wrote. It's not. I hate it. I wish it didn't happen. But this morning I got up and it was like God took my hand. Like, nope, you're going over here. And so that's where we're going. We're going to be focusing on the personal aspect of the gospel this morning uh, and moving into some of the other aspects in weeks to come. Okay. To start us off, I want to show you a video. It's a video of a little boy who was born um, deaf. And, and this little boy um, was not curable um, and, and learned sign language. And, but, but through modern technology, amazingly, <clears throat> the beauty of science, which really is just 
man pushing out the cultural mandate of the gospel, discovering more of how we're wired and using it for his glory and our good, um, we've discovered how to actually stimulate areas of the brain so that people who are deaf can hear. It doesn't actually fix the mechanism of the ear. It bypasses it and goes straight to the brain. It's pretty phenomenal stuff. Um, but this video is of a little boy who um, was born deaf and for the first time actually gets to hear the voice of his mom. Let's watch the video. Hi. Yeah. Oh. I, do you hear something? <gasps> Hi. No, keep it on. It's on. Not anymore. <laughs> keep it on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right, so... So right now I'm going to drop him down since he did respond to that. Okay. Hey, good job. Put back on. I know. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. Hi, baby. I know I'm doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's that? Do you yeah. hear something? Yeah. It's okay. It's fine. We're listening. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? His world was exploded. Right? He went from a four-dimensional world to a five-dimensional world. Right? Went from four senses to five. And I don't think his joy was simply increased by one-fifth. <laughs> I think it was increased 100%. Right? I mean, there was this sense in which by simply adding the ability to hear to his other abilities of seeing and touching and tasting and smelling, his world was completely opened. Right? I love that video because it's just like every time you hear something, he's just like, you know, there's so much joy. You know why? It's, it's, he's not just hearing noises. Like the joy isn't about, oh, I can hear a clap or I can hear... It's because he can hear a voice. He looked at somebody he loved and, and for the first time, instead of just seeing their lips moving, he could hear the voice coming out of their mouth. The overwhelming joy didn't come from simply the pure experience of hearing. It came from what results from hearing? Connection. Intimacy. He got to hear what he always wanted to hear without even knowing he wanted it. Here's the thing. Language, speaking, communication is such a phenomenal thing. I don't know if you guys have spent a lot of time thinking about language. That's my background. I was an English teacher for years and studied linguistics and Fascinating stuff. I mean, honestly, it's amazing when you think about children, the language acquisition skills that they demonstrate from one to two to three. They learn entire languages, right? At the same time, learning how to control this radically uncontrollable body. And, I mean, there's so much going on right there. It's phenomenal, right? They, the, I'm convinced we only get dumber from there on. Um, children are incredibly intelligent. You ever tried to learn a language as an adult, right? Um, it's phenomenal what's going on there. Oliver Wendell Holmes said this, language is the blood of the soul into which thoughts run and out of which they grow. 
What would life be like without language? Really, language are the building blocks of thought, right? You could still be emotive and emotional and experiential, but you could have no clarity. It's language that allows us to take thoughts and put them into comprehensible ideas. Words, these weird things that are, I this flow of mumble jumble that's just coming out of my mouth right now and your brain is receiving and hilarious. You're putting these little spaces between my words that don't exist because it's just one big flow, right? And, 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 but these little things actually communicate. When I'm speaking and you're listening, there's like human connection. Right? It's more than just noise. It's intimacy. See, sign language is powerful because it gives language to those who can't hear language and speak language. But it's not the same as spoken language. There's an intimacy to hearing the spoken voice. There is intimacy to hearing the voice of someone you love. Hearing and understanding and sharing ideas and thoughts and language. Think about it. It's one of the most intimate things we do. It really is. Talking is called social intercourse. <laughs> Sexual language. Why? Because when we talk, we're exposing our soul. If we're being honest, we're revealing ourselves. We're becoming vulnerable, and we're sharing. And so when, when we converse, when we talk, it's essential, it's elemental to knowing and being known, of loving and being loved. They're more than just building blocks of language. They are part of the essence of connection. When we speak openly and honestly, we invite people into our soul. And that's why it's remarkable that God speaks, right? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it's a complicated passage. But at the heart of it is this very simple idea. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, and the book of Hebrews is, is fairly remarkable in a lot of ways. This, this letter is, it doesn't open like all the other letters in the New Testament. Like if you go to the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians, they all kind of start the same way. The, the author says, hey, this is who I am and this is who I'm writing to and, and here's my greeting, right? So it's, it's uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians, grace and peace, right? You don't get any of that in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> he goes straight to the punch. You know what? God's speaking. Not me, God. And that's important because the people that he's writing to um, are a people that are under persecution. There are Jewish people that, that are being tempted to go back to Judaism. They've lost the wonder of the gospel. And, and they're in the midst of suffering and struggle. And so the author of Hebrews is in essence inviting them back in to the wonder, to the crazy intimacy that God's inviting us to. 
right? So he opens with this incredible pronouncement. God spoke. And he just passed. He spoke through the prophets. And God has spoken in the present. He has given his final word in the person of his son, Jesus. And that's his final word because that word doesn't stop speaking. That word continually communicates. It's an amazing picture, but the Bible consistently pictures God speaking. At the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm not going to have you flip there. I'm just going to read a small section of it, but, but one thing I want you to highlight. In the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, the creation. There's six days of creation. Ten times it says, and God said. Ten times. Right? Each day. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? And God said. Right? Until you get to, to day six. After he's spoken the entire world into existence, on day six, he speaks humans into existence. And this is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. I know there's a lot of questions that come out of Genesis chapter 1, but here's one. Why is God talking? Why does he speak the world into existence? You ever wondered that? He doesn't have a body. He's, he's incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have vocal cords like me to go pat or to speak through. He's God. Right? Why does he speak to create? He could have done it in any way he wanted to, but he speaks and calls what doesn't exist into existence. Why is God talking? Why doesn't it just say, and then God decided? And then God did. And then God, poof, right? Why is he speaking? Why words? And why did he create us with a need both to give and receive words? Why did he create us with such an elemental, central need for communication? I think the only answer that really makes sense to me is that God desires intimacy with us. God created us for relationship and words are the lifeline of relationship. It's not that God needed our intimacy. It's not like God was just floating cosmically in space, lonely until he finally decided, well, I could create humans. <laughs> They'd be fun to hang out with. I'll create them and we could talk, right? It says right here, let us make man in our image. That, that, that's speaking of the Trinitarian nature of God. One God, right? One, one, one what, but three who's, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God existed through eternity, completely self-contained, needing nothing outside of himself because he is relational. He is in and of himself 
love and being loved, knowing and being known, right? When you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing eternally, he needs nothing outside of himself. He chose to create because there was so much good in him. He decided to make a creation out of which that goodness might flow, that he might receive the glory and we might receive the good. He didn't create us out of need. He created us out of delight. He didn't create us out of loneliness. He created us because there was so much that to make us in his image would simply magnify the good. And he created us and gave us the gift of intimacy, of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved. Right? First thing he does, he speaks them into existence. And then what does he do? He speaks to them. He goes from speaking them into like, okay, there you're alive. Now let's talk. Let's share intimacy. Let me tell you why you were created. He tells them, look, I've given you this incredible world. Look around. Putting you in a garden. And then look beyond the garden. I've given you this called the the gift of culture. I've given you all the raw materials and I'm going to order it for you. I want you to maintain that, and I want you to go and spread it. You're created in my image. Act like me. Create. Expand the boundaries of good. Relate to one another and love one another and populate the world with relational beings with whom I will love and be loved. Until Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see something remarkable. Adam and Eve spur the love of the God who, who loved them and created them. Right? They reject God. We know the story. They looked at the one who loved them and said, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate the love. But I'm going to center on a different kind of love. I'm going to center on self-love. They commit cosmic treason against the the sovereign God of the universe. They commit personal treason against the lover of their souls. The one who loved them and created them in their own image. What do you do when people betray you? When people hurt you? One of the most natural instincts for us in that moment is to stop speaking. We pull away. Words either become weapons or they become ways to build defense. So we're either building a case against others or building a case for ourselves. That's not intimate language. That's language designed to attack or defend. We use our weapons. And we lose our intimacy. What's amazing in this is that God doesn't fall silent. God, God doesn't like attack, nor does he defend. He doesn't fall silent, withdraw into a distant cosmic silence. He doesn't allow this distance to blanket the created order with, with a, a dark separation of intimacy. God continues to speak. Listen to these verses. This is from Genesis 3. And they, that is Adam and Eve, (coughs) 
heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, pause for a minute. What kind of noise does God make when he walks in the garden? <laughs> you ever thought about it? Doesn't have a body. <laughs> right? I doubt it's like twigs breaking and, and you know? What, what is this noise? How do they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden? Well, some believe that, that it is, in fact, what we would call a theophany. A theophany is, and that does occur sometimes in the Bible, where God actually shows up and takes a physical human form and walks among people and talks to people. It's a temporary manifestation of God. It's possible that it was a theophany that God was showing up in human form. There's no indication of that, and I don't think that's what was going on. Some would say in the cool of the day is actually a hint that there's this idea of wind coming through as the changing, and so maybe there was this rushing of wind that was a signaling of the presence of God, and there are other places in Scripture where God uses weather and, and special phenomena to demonstrate his, his special presence in a place that, hey, you can meet me here. I kind of like the King James version of this verse. The King James translates it like this, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Which sounds really weird, because how can a voice walk? But the idea there is they knew God's presence because they heard God's voice. Then he came walking into the garden, talking, singing. There was a delight and an invitation to intimacy. This is right after they betrayed him. This is right after they were like, we don't want you. We're going to be centered on ourselves. We don't want your glory. We want our glory. We don't want your love. We're going to center on our own love. The Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For the first time in, in the human condition, people understood the experience of shame and the need to hide the need to withdraw intimacy, the need to self-protect. And instead of moving forward in joy and in delight for communication, they hide themselves. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? <laughs> Another funny thing. <laughs> God kind of knew, I think, right? This is the God that just spoke the entire world into existence. He doesn't know where Adam is. He knows where Adam is. Why is he asking? you where are you? Why is he asking? It's an invitation to self-disclosure. Right? He's walking in. It's like your kid in the living room standing behind the drapes with his feet sticking out. You're like, where are you? Right? Except he's not playing a game. In deadly, serious earnest, he's saying, I'm here and I haven't changed. Why are you hiding from me? Where's our intimacy? Where's our delight? It's an invitation to self-disclosure. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because honest dialogue, honest conversation requires honest disclosure. 
He's saying, will you still come into my presence naked? Will you still come into my presence unprotected? Will you still come into my presence trusting my heart? Even though your heart is no longer trustworthy. See, it's amazing that God didn't pull away. God didn't go silent. God didn't show up throwing things and yelling and using his words as weapons. He didn't create barriers to our ability to hear him. He exposed the barriers they created so that they could no longer hear him clearly. You have to know his heart was broken. Because in that, he's revealing the intimacy was broken. See, God's heart hadn't changed, but theirs had. Now when they heard God's voice, they immediately mistrusted it. Now when they heard God's voice, it drove them to hiding and fear. And the challenge is, in that situation, God speaks, but we don't hear right. God's saying the same things he's always said, but we don't hear them clearly anymore. You ever been in a fight with somebody or an argument or a heated discussion if you don't do those sorts of things? I was talking to one couple. They were awesome. They were like, we don't fight. I'm like, really? Everybody fights. No, we just have intense fellowship, okay? So in those moments of intense fellowship, have you ever had one of those moments where you're saying one thing and they're hearing something else? And you're like, that's not what I'm saying. And they're like, that's exactly what you're saying. Have you been on the other side of that where you're the one? They're like, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And you're like, of course I am. You know why? Because what we do is we put thoughts into people's heads. We assume you're upset. We assume you're angry. We assume you're displeased. We assume. And then we put those thoughts in your head and we hear those thoughts in your words. When we don't trust the heart of the person we communicate with, we cannot hear the heart of the person we communicate with. Do you see the problem? God continues to speak, but we can no longer get it right because we don't trust the heart of God. We've invited this brokenness and this hurt into the universe, and God still speaks a word of love. But what we hear is a word of condemnation. And it's not that there isn't judgment for sin. We'll talk about that. But when we look at Genesis 3, what you hear is a God of a broken heart reaching out in love to those that he created and saying, will you trust me? Giving an invitation, will you listen to me? And that voice continued on through the Old Testament. It wasn't just in Genesis 3. It moves on from there. He, he continued to speak through his prophets and, 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 and through phenomena and, and through, and you can read the stories, they're phenomenal. Sometimes it's loud and thundering and sometimes it's a quiet whisper. But he keeps speaking and he, he keeps unraveling this story 
Because our God is a storytelling God. He doesn't just speak random words. He is telling a story, both through his words and through the way he weaves human history. And this great adventure that we ultimately call the gospel, the good news of how God is taking what is broken and restoring it and redeeming it, comes to its head in God's final word. See, God spoke in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. The Gospel of John, one of my favorite Gospels, I love them all, but the Gospel of John is unique in, in the way it introduces Jesus. And in, in John chapter 1, instead of talking about, you know, the, the star and the manger and, and the wise men and, and Herod and all that stuff, instead of talking about all that, John goes way back beyond that. He begins his Gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He like goes back before creation, right? And says, in the very beginning was this word. It's a metaphorical way of referring to Jesus. Because in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're clearly talking about the incarnation of Jesus when he became man. But he calls him the word, the logos, a Greek word that means a thought or an expression. The idea there is that Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is the perfect representation of his intent and his character. When when the author of Hebrews says that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, notice he's not saying through. He's not saying God's words came through Jesus. He's saying God's word was Jesus. He was the embodiment of the thought the word, the expression of God. Jesus became the final word. God has spoken. There's a finality and an authority to that language. This is the word of all words that speaks to us of who God is and what he intends to do. And what does Jesus show us? Hmm. See, in Jesus, it's like God saying, let me show you my heart. Because at my heart is once again an invitation to intimacy. The same invitation I gave at the beginning of the story is the same invitation I give now. You were created for intimacy with me. You were created for that kind of love. Let me show you my heart. And let me speak in a language you can understand. The language of undeniable Self-sacrifice. Nothing communicates love more powerfully than when somebody lays down their good for ours, their best for our best. And God gave the ultimate example. I have a friend, a fellow pastor, who uses a phrase a lot. In fact, he made kind of a hashtag um, and this week, I don't know why, it's just been bouncing around in my head a ton, but it's this idea of whiplash love. Remember the video? Every time the kid heard the voice, how did he respond? Every time. <laughs> you know, I was like, mm, it surprised me again. That's awesome. There it is again. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's a sense of every time he hears it, he's overcome by joy. It's not like, oh, I heard it once and I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm done. 
Every time it was such an incredible, powerful experience of connection that it flooded his soul with joy. The gospel's like that. See, when we become tone deaf to the gospel, it simply becomes an idea. It simply becomes propositional truths. It simply becomes this thing that, that, that we hold to, but it doesn't thrill our souls. Jesus is, at his heart, personal. God in the flesh. If he's anything else, he is an invitation to relationship, an invitation to intimacy. And every time we realize that God loves us in spite of us, it's a whiplash love moment. And that's why the gospel isn't this something we believe and then move on. It's just something we believe and we keep believing and it keeps amazing us and it keeps changing us because love changes us. And there are those moments where you're just once again shocked into the realization that the God of the universe loves you like this and desires intimacy and relationship with you. See, the cross of Christ was a universal solution to the central problem of the human condition. There was a big problem in the universe, right? When mankind rebelled against God, everything went wrong, right? They broke the shalom of God, the peace of God, and as a result, they brought disharmony and disunity into the entire created order. They were the stewards of the created order, right? Genesis 1, they were given dominion over everything. So when they rebelled, they plunged the entire created universe into the chaos of rebellion, into the chaos of the loss of shalom. So the cross is that universal solution, right? But it begins with personal transformation. God's going to recreate the entire universe, and we'll get into that. But it begins with personal transformation. It begins with a heart undone by the love of God. That God loved us enough to actually take on flesh. To live the life we should have lived. To die the death we deserve to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, lived the perfect life, became sin for us. On the cross, He became the embodiment of all of our rebellion and died. Our death took our judgment. Why? The rest of the verse is so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him that he might take all of our rebellion and in its place give us all of his righteousness. Everything that makes him right is now mine. That is an intensely personal message. He, he died for the world. But he didn't just die as a universal solution to a universal problem. He died for me. He was a personal solution to my greatest crisis. He spoke the love language of my heart in a way that my heart couldn't deny. And he said, I love you. I love you. Incredibly, intensely personal. After Jesus rose from the dead, the first person that came across him was Mary. 
And Mary came and her heart was filled with doubt and anxiety and chaos as she came out. If she just watched Jesus get crucified, right? I mean, everything in her world was being undone and she comes to the tomb and it's empty and she's like, now what? Who stole the body? Why would you mess with that? Why? And she sees this guy standing there. She's like, what'd you do? And she's just going off on him, right? Give me the body. Do you want the tomb? I don't care, but let me take care of the body. And he says one word to her, Mary. He just speaks her name. And all the chaos is gone. She melts on the ground in worship and joy because she knows that voice. It is intensely personal. If you've been a believer in Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus, you know that there is a moment where the voice of God is no longer simply an abstract idea. It's not something we hear audibly with our ears, but it is something we intensely experience in our heart. Where he says, your name. His love is not a generic love for a race. It is a personal love for you. And he died for you. And he rose again for you so that you might once again be able to find intimacy with your creator. That you might be able to walk with your God and hear his voice and not put thoughts into his head, thoughts of anger, thoughts of rejection, thoughts of condemnation. But you might actually be able to hear his word For God so loved Steve that he gave his only son that if I would believe in him, it's belief, trust, the restoration of intimacy. I bring my heart once again in line with the God who loves me and created me and I say, I trust you more than I trust myself. saved and that salvation comes in man and it it releases me from from shame and guilt and fear from from self-protection and self-promotion it comes in and it says you got nothing to prove and no one to impress why because you're covered in the righteousness of christ i loved you god the universe loved you took everything that was wrong and gave you everything that was right. You are free from fear. It unleashes freedom. It unleashes hope. Like a genuine hope connected to things that are real and lasting and transformative instead of passing and empty and disappointing. It unleashes love. Love for God, the God who loved me. And then out of that, love for others. The salvation that comes in is Holistic, transformative. And like all good things that we experience in our lives, we'll share it. When our hearts 
are experiencing that whiplash love, when our hearts are actually responding to the grace of God, when our hearts are actually undone by the intimacy of a sovereign God inviting us back into his presence. We'll talk about it. We'll share it with others. See, we we talk about what we love, don't we? We share what excites us. Some of you simply cannot shut up right now about the Cardinals. I love you. It's awesome. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but, you know, who doesn't get excited this time of year? Every year, right? I mean, yeah, they're good, okay? Yeah, it's awesome. We talk about what excites us. Some of you are like, I'm a Cubs fan, man. I hate you right now. Okay, that's fine. You talk about your Cubs, okay? We talk about what excites us. We talk about what we love. We do, right? That's why you talk about golf. That's why you talk about your car. That's why you talk about the music. That's why you talk about your, your major. That's why, because you, you talk about what you love. When the love of God grips our hearts and the intimacy that we've been invited into lights us up, we can't help but talk about it. It lights us up when we want to share that light with others. We don't always know how. We're not always really effective at it. Sometimes we let fear hinder us. But what's interesting is the more you share the excitement, the more the excitement grows. There is a piece of the good news that is given to us, not simply so that we can receive it personally, but share it with others personally. That we're called to take this message of grace, let it transform our hearts, and then share that message of grace so that others can be blessed and invited back into relationship with God. Not in a way that condemns others or rejects others, but it's always just saying, I'm excited. <laughs> We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about sharing the gospel and how the gospel really transforms the entire world. But we'll get into that next week. Moving into response this morning, I want to share some reflection questions we're going to move into a time of response, and uh, I'm just going to create some space and ask you to do some business with God. Let him speak to your heart. Pray. I'm going to give you some questions to lead you, and then we're going to move into communion, and uh, that'll be explained once we get there. But take a look at these questions for now as we move into our time of response. First of all, do you mistrust God's motives? that he's motivated for your good. Because if you mistrust God's motives, you will mishear his words. You will put thoughts in his head and you'll hear what you expect to hear, whether it's rejection or condemnation or distance or disinterest. We begin addressing this by simply admitting this. We all have areas of mistrust. It begins by admitting it. And coming to God with that mistrust and asking Him if He's trustworthy and letting Him speak to our heart in a way that only He can. Do you regularly listen to God by reading His Word and hear Him say, I love you? Do you regularly listen to God by reading His Word? I, you know, I have a lot of people, and it's interesting in my job, I hear a lot of, a lot of people that show up and say, I, you know, I heard from God. Really? How'd you hear from him? Well, I just was in the shower. And I heard God. That's great. And I'm not saying that can't happen. 
It can, absolutely. God speaks to our hearts, right? He gives convictions, he gives direction, and, and he's powerful like that. But I get nervous when I hear people talking more about how they hear God in their personal experience than how they hear God in the Word. Because this written Word is God's gift to us. This is how God speaks. God's Spirit speaks through God's Word. So how are you creating space to hear God? By creating space to engage His Word. Like daily. Not to have a personal devotion time so you can feel good about yourself and impress God. I'm talking about like actually opening it up and reading it and praying and saying, God, what do you have for me? Coming expectantly. What's your word for me, God? Knowing that at the heart of it is a message of love. Oh, (laughs) my voice is almost gone. All right. And do you share with others in word the love of God that has so blessed you? Are you letting God use your voice as a tool of communication for his love? Are there people that he's opening your heart in love to, to share his love with? If so, pray about it and let him lead you. He's never asked us to be perfect witnesses. He's simply asking us to be honest witnesses. Let's move into a tie response. Let me pray for us. And we'll share communion in a moment. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you, Lord, for the demonstration of that love in Christ. That the word become flesh is a message of irresistible invitation. Lord, I pray this morning that it might be that whiplash moment that simply awakens our hearts once again to the wonder of grace and the beauty of your love. That we might once again be filled with that childlike awe, that wonder, that that joy that simply says, I am loved. I pray for my friends who may not be believers this morning that you would make yourself plain to them as well. It's your work. It's your hand. It's your message. So we commit it to you.